You are listening to a message from Adam Reardon at Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois. At Redemption Church, we are all about introducing people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information, check us out online at redemption.cc. Now stay tuned for today's message. I would uh, love it if you brought a Bible with you, if you'd open up to the book of Malachi this morning. Uh, Malachi is an Old Testament book, uh, but it's right by the New Testament. So if you find Matthew, just hang a left, and we'll be in uh, Malachi chapter 2. I wanted to keep... I wanted to keep rolling with our Malachi series. Every summer, we take time to really just study one book of the Bible through the summer. And so this summer, we're in the book of Malachi. And as we roll into chapter two, uh, just to give you a little bit of insider perspective, uh, I, I knew what we had planned for the morning. And I knew that there's no way we could get through like a whole chunk of Malachi chapter two. In fact, for those of you, some of you told me that you're reading through Malachi as we go through it. Uh, there's some imagery in Malachi chapter 2 that we don't want to talk about right before we eat a meal. And if I've piqued your interest, you're going to go home and read it now. So, But we're going to talk about that next week, okay? So this week is kind of like an intro. This is kind of like a Star Wars movie. Uh, this movie is to get us to the next movie, but I think there's some, some stuff in here to, to really speak to our hearts and our souls, and it will inform us also for next week. And, and here's, and here's kind of the big idea. One of the things we see over and over again in the book of Malachi is this idea of pursuit or pursuing. Uh, The idea of being on a quest for, searching for something in pursuit or going towards something. And the reality is, is that every single one of us is pursuing something. In fact, I want you to maybe think to yourself, what is something that you are currently pursuing? Uh, what is something that you're in pursuit of? Uh, maybe it's better health. Maybe you're still working towards those New Year's resolutions that you set in January but haven't started yet, and that's okay. Uh, maybe it's financial security. Maybe it's paying off debt, uh, making more money, balancing the budget. Maybe, maybe you're looking to kind of secure that retirement because one day you're thinking, hey, I don't know if I want to work anymore. Uh, maybe it's a healthier marriage. Maybe there's some stuff going on. You go, hey, there's some, some stuff we want to go from, from, you know, like striving to thriving in our relationships. Maybe you're pursuing. Uh, maybe it's not just a, a marriage. Maybe it's a healthier relationship. Maybe you've got some friendships you're working on. Or maybe it's even relationship uh, with your kids because I think raising kids is one of the, the most joyous and hardest things to do on the face of the planet. And let's just be honest, every parent in the room, the question you keep asking is, how badly am I messing them up? I mean, that's the question. So is that something that you're looking towards? Uh, maybe it has nothing to do with marriage, but maybe you're in pursuit of that special someone. When will I meet him? Or when will I meet her? And where will that happen? And what will they be like? What will Romeo or what will Juliet look like? And that's a bad example because they both die in the end. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> maybe it's just a good time. Maybe you're stressed out. Maybe you're in that pursuit of, of happiness. Hey, I want to I uh, get better at the golf swing. You know, maybe I'm looking for some more time on the golf course. Maybe I need to do better in the area of Sabbath, resting in the Lord. Every single one of us are pursuing something. Maybe it's education. Uh, maybe you're a, a, a kid, and so your parents are making you pursue education. Uh, maybe for some of you now, it's your choice, and you're pursuing further education. Oh, there's all kinds of things we can pursue, but here's what I want you to kind of think about, and maybe you don't want to write it down because somebody might look if you wrote it down, but here's what I want you to think about. What are you pursuing? Like in your own life right now, what are you questing for? What are you searching after? What are you striving towards? 
And see, I know we're at church, so you're thinking this is a trick question, but it's not. I'm not going to dog whatever you wrote. Because one of the things that we're going to see over and over and over again in the book of Malachi is that God is calling an entire nation of people, the nation of Israel, to return to him, to come back into his presence, to come back into his love, to come back into his promises. The big biblical word is covenant. And see, God keeps inviting them to come back, but the problem isn't that they were lost. It's not like Israel had, had messed up on their GPS system and like geographically they were lost. The problem was is that they had forgot to pursue God. See, like they made this mistake that we can all make. See, it's not wrong to pursue things. The problem was that the nation of Israel was seeking after, questing for, striving for things, and in the process, they completely forgot God. In fact, maybe one of the big ideas this morning or things to grasp onto is this, is that God's best for us is always found in his presence. God's best for you, God's best for me is always found in his presence. In fact, I would take that a step further and say that the thing that you're striving for, whatever it is that you wrote down, is ultimately achieved and satisfied only in the presence of God. And see, what happens is the nation of Israel is pursuing happiness, pursuing success, pursuing meaning, pursuing satisfaction, pursuing a legacy, pursuing all these things, but what they're pursuing them outside of the presence of God. See, God's best for us is found in his presence. God's best for us is found in his love for us. God's best for us is found in his word to us. God's best for us is founded and secured in Christ for us. God's best for us is deposited in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. God's best for us is always found in his presence. And see, God doesn't promise to make our lives perfect, nor does he promise to make our lives problem-free. In fact, there may even be some of us in the room that God would call to die for the gospel. He doesn't promise us that it'll be worry-free or problem-free. Rather, he promises that in him we will discover the life that he always meant us to have. That in him we find purpose. In him we find security. In him we find joy. In him we find meeting. In him we find our inheritance. In him we find our legacy. And see, the nation of Israel had decided that their satisfaction, their fulfillment, their pleasure, their joy, and their security were found not in the presence of God, but rather in the things of the world. And see, we tend to chase after the things that we love. And so what happens to the nation of Israel is the same thing that can tend to happen to us, is that when we begin to love things that will never really fulfill us, that will never really satisfy us, will never really give us the joy, we pursue hard after those things, but we never achieve fulfillment, meaning, satisfaction, or the thing that we were questing for. And so what God does to Israel is he begins to reveal to them their heart by revealing to them the things that they are questing after, the things that they are pursuing, the things that they are chasing after. And one of the things God does is he gives them a little bit of a heart checkup. And so in Malachi chapter 1 that we've already been through, God says, I have loved you like a good, perfect father. I have loved you. But God tells them, but you have not loved me. 
God says, I've offered myself to you. Now, like, if you, if you think about that one for just a little bit, I was trying to think about that one. That God has offered himself to us. Like, we have access to the throne room of God. That we have access to the word of God. That we have access to the heart of God. That God has freely given himself to us. And yet we choose other things. But we choose to give our time to other things. We choose to give our attention to other things. We choose to give our pursuit to other things. And yet God, who is holy, 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 the author of creator of all things, says, I'm here. And we say, yeah, but I'm not caught up on Netflix. So God says to the nation of Israel, I've given myself to you, but you don't honor me. And the reason you don't honor me is because you don't really know who I am. And as we enter into Malachi chapter 2, what God is doing is he says, one of the things he has given the nation of Israel, which is the same thing he's given to us, is his word. And what he says is, I have spoken to you, I have sent prophets to you, I have given you my word, but you do not listen to me. And see, if you're a parent, you can know how frustrating that is. Because we never speak to our kids things that are worthless. Like we never tell our kids things, things that, that aren't good for them, although they might not like them. Like you don't tell your kids just to clean their room for the sake of having a clean room. Like we don't make our kids brush our teeth just because we think it's a fun exercise. It's because there's a thing called cavities. Like we can't let our kids ice, eat ice cream all the time because it's just not good for them. And God said, the reason it's so important that you know my word is because my best for you is tied into you in the knowledge and the knowing of what I've spoken to you. See, one of the things that's interesting about the nation of Israel, and we don't have a lot of time this morning, we're going to get into this a little more next week, so if you're intrigued, come back next week. But the nation of Israel is really divided into 12 tribes. And the 12 tribes of Israel can all be tied back to the family tree. So all the way back to the promise that God made to Abraham that he would have many sons and many sons would have Father Abraham and I am one of them and so are you. And that'll be in the head for the rest of your day. And that's great. And so there's 12 tribes and to each tribe, there's some sort of blessing, some sort of covenant, some sort of promise and some sort of inheritance, sometimes even curses, but there's things tied to every single tribe. And we don't have time to get into every single one of them, but I just want to compare too quickly. So one tribe of Israel is the tribe of Judah, okay? So everyone who's related to Judah, and that is the tribe of kings. So from, so from the line of Judah will come the kings like King David and even eventually Jesus. And they would be given land and promises that God would be with them. And, and, and what God is addressing in Malachi chapter 2 are the priests, also known as the Levites. And they're not called the Levites just because they really tend to like Levi genes. It's because they come from a guy named Levi. They're all descendants of Levi. And see, as priests, the Levites are not only descendants of Levi, but they've been handpicked by God to be his priests, not just to the nation of Israel, but to the entire world that these guys are the keepers and the proclaimers of God's word, 
They oversee the, the temple, including the entire sacrificial system at that time. And so in many ways, they set the temperature and the atmosphere of the worship in Israel. However, the priest goes, the nations go. That they, they tend and oversee the temple in which God dwells. I mean, these guys are close to God. And this is one of the things that's interesting about the Levites. While they are given some land for cattle to grow on, unlike most of the tribes in Israel, they are not given a place to settle because theirs is the temple. And if you really study the Levites, the promise God gives them is when he says, that, hey, I give some tribes land and possession and places. Well, God promises the Levites, he says, what you receive as an inheritance is me. He says, like, unlike any other tribe, your inheritance is that my presence is with you and you are always in my presence. And so from the line of Levi would come guys like Moses, Aaron, John the Baptist, and Barnabas. And see, one of the things that's interesting is we can read Malachi chapter 2 where God is speaking directly to priests and we can kind of go, whew, the pressure's off because I'm not a priest. So this must not really apply to me. I, must be, I might find the loophole to get out of this, except for uh, we live in the New Testament and, and things like 1 Peter 2.9 say this about you and me, those who have been saved by Jesus says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That did you know the reason we don't have Levites and priests anymore is because now, because the Holy Spirit dwells in you, one of the functions of every believer is to be a priest? That you proclaim his excellencies wherever you go? That you are a priest, that you are a chosen nation, that you are a royal priesthood, that wherever you go, God's presence is with you and you can declare his goodness and you are a bringer of his kingdom and his light into the dark world. And so we can't get away from this. Because we, in some ways, function like an Old Testament priest. You see, what God is speaking to them is he's saying, to the people who are my representatives, to those who know my word and are to declare it to the nations, to those who have set the temperature for worship in my house, for those who are to set the example for a non-believing world, I have loved you, but you don't love me. I have offered myself to you, but you do not honor me. I have spoken to you, but you do not listen to me. Now, in the first part of Malachi chapter 2, God says some really hard things. We're not going to get into that this morning. That'll be next week. But then he invites them back. And see, one of the things I love about God is like, he, he always invites us back. That God is a God that pursues those who run from him. That God is a God that doesn't just give us second chances, but he gives us thousands of chances. That God is the God that meets us in our rebellion from him and invites us back to him. So he's this, he says this in Malachi chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. He says, So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. 
If you, if you have your Bible with you, if you can highlight in your phone, I, w- I would highlight or underline this next line because I, I, I think it's key. He walked with me. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. And he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. See, what can happen is we can, we can look at a passage like this or we can end up going to a church or attending church long enough that what can happen is, is we can take a passage like this and, and what we do is we, we treat it like a checklist. Okay, how's my fear of God? Okay, I need more fear. And what that really means is reverence and awe, understanding that when we go before God, who we're really talking to, who he really is, and that there's this a sense of fear and awe. Okay, so I need some more fear and awe. And, there was instruction in his mouth, so I need to read the Bible so I can know more of the Bible, so I can tell more of the Bible, and there was no wrong found on his lips, so I should stop maybe saying things that I know I shouldn't say, and so I'll just try to put in a filter so I don't say those things, at least out loud, so people can hear them, and I should start telling people uh, to, to turn from iniquity, and I should pretend to have peace, and I should be known for my knowledge, and we can kind of turn that into a to-do list. But here's the key. God says, he walked with me. Because God's best for us is always found in his presence. See, what God is really saying to the nation of people, the tribe of people who were named after Levi, the Levites, he's saying, you know the difference between Levi and you? He walked with me. He knew me. This is that same kind of language of of the garden that Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. This is language of fellowship. This is language of intimacy. This is language of friendship. This is language of knowing and being with and understanding the heart of someone he walked with me. See, God does not expect us to be perfect. In fact, God doesn't even always expect us to always get it right. And yet God takes a ragamuffin group like us, and he says, hey, but would you follow me? Hey, would you walk with me? Hey, would you spend time with me? Hey, would you understand that God's best for you is tied into his presence? That God's best for you is tied into his word? That God's best for you is tied into Jesus? That's the security of that? That would you understand that the Holy Spirit alive and awake in your heart is tied to God's best for you? Would you walk with me? Would you spend time with me? Would you get to know me? Would you be in relationship with me? See, God's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for people who respond to his love. And so God's looking for people that say, hey, God, because you first loved me, I'll love you in return. God, because you're offered yourself to me, I'll seek to be in your presence. God, because you've spoken to us, I will know your word, do what it says, and I will declare it. God, I will chase after those things. I will pursue those things. I will be in quest of and searching for those things. In fact, the very thing that you and I are pursuing, the very thing you thought of earlier when I asked you, what are you looking for? What are you questing for? What are you searching for? The thing you desire is ultimately found in the presence of God in your life. That's where the satisfaction is. That's where the meaning is. That's where the fulfillment is. So if you're looking for satisfaction, you'll only find that in the presence of God in your life. 
If you're looking for meaning, you'll only find that in the presence of God in your life. If you're looking for security, hope, joy, provision, love, that's all found in the presence of God, the person of Jesus, the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit in your life. See, sometimes it can seem a little bit like a one-trick pony, but I believe that. You want a better marriage? Get into the presence of God. You want to achieve some financial goals? Then get into the presence of God. You want to find that special someone? Get into the presence of God. And if you're in the presence of God and they're in the presence of God, it'll happen. But if you're in the presence of God and they're not, then God will just protect you from the wrong one. You want to make a difference in the world? Get into the presence of God. You want to be satisfied, free of fear, rooted in hope, abounding in love, then get into the presence of God. And see, what's so fascinating about this is God says, I've given myself to you. I've offered it to you. I've laid it on the table. But what will you do with it? I love this quote from John Piper. This is, uh, something that he has said for years that is like the mantra of his ministry, but he says it this way. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. See, the nation of Israel is so looking for pleasure and satisfaction and significance and meaning, and they have looked everywhere, but in the presence of God, you know what? They've never found what they're looking for. And see, the same is true for you and for me, that when we quest after, when we search for, when we look for all those things anywhere other than the presence of God, the Bible says they're like empty wells. We get to the bottom and we figure out there's no more, and yet we're still thirsty. And yet God says, in me, you would be satisfied. This is why some of the promises of God are so huge that he says things like, in me you would find rest. That's a huge promise. Because you can get exhausted looking for rest. You ever taken a vacation before, which is supposed to give you rest? And then you come home from the vacation and you're more exhausted than when you left for vacation and now you need a vacation from vacation? Isn't it intriguing that you can exhaust yourself looking for rest? And yet God says, no, no, no. In me you can find rest. In fact, God's promises are so great that he commands us to rest in his presence. And see, I don't know about you, so I'll just talk about me this morning. I'm not, I've never been called the sharpest tool in the shed. Uh, sometimes I get it wrong. And sometimes I need a reset, a restart, and a refocus. See, that's really what I wanted to achieve this morning is this, today's kind of the perfect day to do that as we celebrate our communion. As we, as we gather together, we fix our eyes on Jesus, we get into his word, we see him for who he is, but we think about all that he's done, we repent of our sin, and we also have the opportunity to adjust the trajectory of our lives to walk with him. It's an opportunity for us to say, where are we looking for satisfaction, joy, fulfillment, happiness outside of the presence of God? It's an opportunity for us to say, hey, uh, that's not really working because let's be honest, how is it working? And if we're honest, it's not. But we are exhausted by. We are never fulfilled. We are never satisfied. We look for the thrill. We get the thrill, and then it quickly fades away. And yet God says there's a better way, and it's in his presence. It's in in Jesus. It's in the Holy Spirit. It's in his word that in him we can find 
satisfaction, meaning, inheritance, rest. See, communion is an opportunity for us just to fix our eyes on Jesus and be reminded of who he is. And it's an opportunity for us to say, you know what, I I think there's some things I want to achieve and they're all good. However, I think maybe, possibly, according to Scripture, the thing that I'm really searching for isn't found in the search of it. It's in the pursuit of Jesus. That's where I find my satisfaction. It's in the pursuit of Jesus that I find my rest. It's in the pursuit of Jesus that I discover happiness. It's in the pursuit of Jesus that I discover my meaning. It's in him that I am ultimately satisfied. And see, what God tells the nation of Israel is like, hey, you guys are doing things, but you don't walk with me. You've forgotten me in your pursuit of whatever. And God says, would you return to me? But would you return like Levi and would you walk with me? In fact, one of the things that boggles scholars, and so I will just be as honest with you because that's my like code, I'll just always be honest with you. Any scholar that really knows what they're talking about will tell you they have no idea what God is talking about when he says the covenant with Levi. If you go home and study your Bible this week, try to find a covenant that God made with Levi. Because it's not in there. What you'll discover is covenants that God made with the Levites, where he calls them to serve Moses at the Mount Sinai, where he gives them the temple, and yet what God is speaking to, he's like, hey, you guys don't need to know what happened between me and Levi. That's not important. But what you need to know is he walked with me. He knew me. There was intimacy. I was with him and he was with me. And from that flowed the rest of his life. Would you walk with me? The communion is an opportunity for us to gather together and just fix our eyes on Jesus and be reminded that he is the maker of heaven and earth. That he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. That he is the son of God. That he is the humble servant. That he is the good shepherd He is the Prince of Peace. He is the wonderful Counselor. He is the sinless Savior who died on the cross in our place for our sin. In the book of Revelation, he is called the Dragon Slayer. That he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is a friend of sinners. He is the Great High Priest. He is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the resurrection and the life. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life, and no one gets to the Father except through him. And he has given himself to us. So as we come to the communion table this morning, we're reminded that God's best for us is always found in his presence. That God's best for us is found in his love for us. God's best for us is found in his word to us. God's best is found and secured for us in Jesus. And God's best for us is deposited in us through the Holy Spirit. And God has invited you and he's invited me in a relationship where we can know him so much that he would be so glad, he would be so glorified because we would be so satisfied in him. Thanks again for listening to this message from Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois where we believe faith is a journey, not a guilt trip. Listen again next week, but in the meantime, visit us at redemption.cc.